want to introduce our guest speaker. Uh, Dr. Ron Cruz is the executive director of Grace Churches International, which we are uh, associated with, and his lovely wife, Jonda. Um, is pronounced like Rhonda, but John, Jonda, okay? And uh, we, we welcome them here. Dr. Cruz, he's uh, pastored about four churches and started Christian schools and a Christian college, and um, he's uh, going overseas many, many times, and uh, he's just want to come to bless us today uh, and, and to see who is Cornerstone, because he's never been here before. And let's welcome uh, Dr. Cruz. And also his wife, Jonda, would you stand? Jonda. Okay. Are we good? Oh, good. Yeah, I guess we are. Well, good morning to you. Let me bring you greetings from Grace Churches International. Cornerstone Community Church is a part of this network of churches. We're not a denomination. We're a network of churches in the United States. And we, through our local churches, we do work in 69 nations. Just let you know you're a part of something that's uh, having an impact around the world. Um, and it's been my privilege since I've been back, uh, 2008, I guess it was, I came back to Fayetteville where our offices are uh, to serve as executive director there. And John and I have had the privilege of visiting in some of our churches here in the U.S. as well as uh, in some of our locations overseas. And I just wanted to give you a couple of uh, stories of what God is doing around the world. God's on the move. I mean, there's uh, in the nation of Brazil, uh, we have a, a partner there that's been working for a number of years uh, among the Amera Indians up in the northern part of the country, uh, up near where Venezuela and Guyana and Brazil all sort of come together. And there's several mountain ranges up there where there's a lot of uh, Amera Indian and their tribes are there. And uh, several years ago, through uh, the sovereignty of God, this uh, one brother who, uh, his name is Alwan Chatterpaul. He's actually from Guyana, but has been living in Brazil now for close to 20 years, I think, in, in ministry. But uh, he met this one man, uh, an Indian, and um, through a series of events, God just knit their hearts together, and he led him to the Lord. And this, this uh, Amer Indian's name is Jose. And Jose cannot read or write, but he can preach in five dialects. And God has just given him a gift of language. He can go into a village and within just a few days pick up that dialect and start preaching in that dialect. And through Jose and then some others who he has led to the Lord and then others that they have led to the Lord, in the last 10 years over 400 churches have been planted in these villages all across the northern Brazil. I mean, God is just on the move. And uh, so one of the things that we've done at GCI, through your support that, that you give every month as a church, as a partner member of GCI, we've established a training center uh, up there in a little town called Boa Vista, right near the mountains, because the Brazilian government has said that anybody with non-Amera Indian 
cannot go into those territories. So, but if, if those who are mere Indians who are saved, they can go and they can just go and take the gospel. So, but once a month, uh, we, we send down a training team to this uh, training center and uh, Mary Indians come out of the mountains and they come for about four days of intensified training to help equip them with the tools that they need for sharing the gospel. And then they go back out and preach the gospel and plant churches. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. God is on the move. And then John and I have been roughing it for the gospel's sake in Jamaica and in Ireland and uh, some other places where the Lord has allowed us to go where there are GCI churches. And uh, we also have a relationship with, uh, with some works in China among the underground churches there. Do you know that there are more believers in China right now than there are in America? There are more believers in China than there are in America. Of course, you won't see that on Fox News or CNN because they're, they're underground. But there, there's just growth. I was there doing some training with some of the pastors, and we had to be very secret and run from a taxi into an apartment building and up to uh, this apartment where we were meeting with some of the leaders and... Um, I was just talking with this gentleman through the translator and uh, this, this man, and I just asked him, well, uh, how many churches do you oversee? And he said, oh, about 600 in this city. This is a city of about 20 million. And then he said, we have sent out 600 others to neighboring cities. So he, he oversees about 1,200 churches. And I thought, what am I doing trying to teach you anything, you know, uh, <clears throat> but uh, God is on the move. And uh, we also, I also serve as an academic dean of our Bible college that's there in Fayetteville. And then the other hat I wear is I'm in the endorsing agent for our chaplains. Grace Churches International has been recognized by the Department of Defense to, uh, to uh, endorse chaplains for the military service. And so right now we have uh, 18 chaplains on active duty. Uh, representing Grace Churches International around the globe and, and military installations around the world. And then we've got a couple more that are in process. So just wanted to bring you greetings and introduce you to my lovely wife. And we discovered last night that, uh, that we picked a very good day to be married, July 25th, 1970, which is the same date as your pastor and his wife got married. So we, that July 25th, 19th, that was a very good day for marriages. We've been married 40 years, and uh, we have four children and four grandbabies so far. And I've got the pictures to prove it. I'll be glad to show you one of my granddaughters, and there's the whole cruise crew. I'll be glad to show you, but uh, uh, it's just a joy to be with you. I've been wanting to come and see you and worship with you, and thank you for that worship, by the way, worship team. That was great. Just a, what a blessing. Amen. Tremendous. You guys are blessed here, and uh, it's been a joy to get to know Pastor Willie and, and Minerva, and um, just God, God is good. God is good. And I want to share with you this, eve- this morning uh, just a, uh, what I call back to the basics. In 1986, a man by the name of Robert Fulgham 
wrote a book called All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. Anybody remember that book back? Those of you with gray hairs may remember when that book came out in 1986. It became a bestseller on the New York Times list for weeks and weeks and weeks. And he just says, all I really need to know about how to live and what to do and how to be, I learned in kindergarten. Wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, but there in the sand pile at Sunday school. Here are some of the things he says that everybody needs to know in order to live. Number one, share everything. Two, play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that are not yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat. Don't forget to flush. (laughs) Warm cookies and cold milk are very good for you. Take a nap in the afternoon. When you go out into the world, watch out for the traffic, hold hands, and stick together. Be aware of wonder, because this is a big world. All I ever needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. Well, all we ever needed to know about who God is and what he has done for us is what I call kindergarten class Christianity 101. Back to the basics. And it's in a nutshell is this. Let's turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses beginning at verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against him. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Would you read that with me, that last sentence up there? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, some of you may have been walking with the Lord for decades, some a short time, but I don't care how long you've been walking with God or what your spiritual status is. It's good to be reminded of the basics. 
This is the basics. God, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we who are full of sin might become the righteousness of God. This is a truth I believe that must be known not just in our head but in our hearts before any other truth can really be experienced, truth about God. This is spiritual kindergarten, as it were, but yet profound enough for meditation and wonder throughout eternity. And another place Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 1, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. For that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. I believe one of the keys to Paul's ministry was the fact that he was very aware that he was chief of sinners. This was not exaggeration for Paul. Wasn't hyperbole for Paul. He really meant it. He knew that he had persecuted the church, that he had been responsible for the death of believers. He had coveted, he said in Romans 7, that he wouldn't know what it was to covet if it had not been convicted him by the, by the law. So my question this morning is, where do you see yourself in a spiritual spectrum? If one is... No sin, and ten is chief of sinners. Paul said he saw himself chief of sinners. This mighty man of God. Where do you see yourself on this spectrum before God? If it is only when we realize how lost we are that we can be found. It's an amazing thing in the gospel. To fully appreciate what Christ did for us, we have to know that we need a Savior. Because apart from God, there is nothing good in us. Paul wrote, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I looked it up in the Greek. And you know what in the Greek the word all means? It means all. Tell your neighbor, that includes you. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Christ came into the world to save sinners. If you're not a sinner, you don't need Jesus. Christ died for sinners. Jesus did not come just to give us good teachings, although... He was the master teacher. He didn't come into world into this world just to heal the sick, although he is the great physician. He came into this world to offer his very body as a sacrifice for sin. He who knew no sin became sin, took on his body our sin. Commenting on this verse, Martin Luther, the great German a theologian uh, that was the father of the Reformation. He wrote, 
all the prophets did foresee in spirit that Christ should become the greatest transgressor, murderer, adulterer, thief, rebel, blasphemer that ever was or could be in all the world. For he being made a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world is not now an innocent person and without sins, but a sinner. Luther continued, he says, Our most merciful Father sent His only Son into the world and laid upon Christ the sins of all men, saying, Jesus, you become Peter, the one who denied you. Jesus, you become Paul, the one who persecuted you and blasphemed you. Jesus, you become David, the one who committed adultery. Jesus, you become the sinner that ate the apple in paradise. Jesus, you become the thief that's hanging on the cross beside you. Jesus, for a moment in time, become the person who has committed the sins of all men so that you can satisfy the penalty for sin. And then when Jesus on that moment became sin for us, the law comes and says, I find him a sinner, therefore he must die because the wages of sin is death. The moment that Jesus took our sins upon himself, the Holy One becoming defiled by our sins. That is the moment from the cross that Jesus cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, why have you forsaken me? That moment in time when Christ, the one who knew no sin, became sin for us. At that moment, the holiness, the purity of God could not look on his own son, even though just days before he had said, Behold my son in whom I am well pleased. At that moment, he could not look on his son. The presentation of the death of Christ as our substitute demonstrates the love of Jesus more fully and richly than any other account of it. Luther once wrote to a friend, Learn to know Christ and Him crucified. Learn to sing to Him and say, Lord Jesus, You are my righteousness. I am Your sin. You have taken upon Yourself what is mine and given me what is Yours. You became what You were not so that I might become what I was not. You must know the depth of your sin in order to know the greatness of your Savior. This is a trustworthy saying, Paul wrote. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Did you notice that? He didn't say of whom I was the worst. Present tense, Paul said. I am. This one 
who had gone around the world, the known world at that time, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, planting churches, raising up disciples in city after city after city, became probably one of the greatest Christian thinkers of his day, expositor of the scriptures. This one said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. He considered that love of God to be so great. So he wrote in Ephesians that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul realized what a sinner he was and how much Christ did for him on the cross. He had that awareness of his debt before God and of what Christ did for him. I don't fully comprehend this. There are moments when sometimes I think I almost grasp it, that I can almost see how much God loves me but I'm too easily distracted, too easily moved by stuff that's going on around me to marvel at the love of Jesus for this sinner. Saints, behold Jesus on the cross for you and your sins. One writer put it this way, in Christ we have a love that can never never be fathomed, a life that can never die. There it is. A righteousness that can never be tarnished. A peace that can never be understood. A rest that can never be disturbed. A joy that can never be diminished. A hope that can never be disappointed. A glory that can never be clouded. A light that can never be darkened. A purity that can never be defiled. A beauty that can never be marred. A wisdom that can never be baffled. Resources that can never be exhausted. That's who... Jesus Christ is. But there's more, saints. If you have looked at Jesus on the cross and you have said, there is my sin, there is my salvation, if you have repented of your sins, that is, if you've asked Jesus to forgive you and to cleanse you and to help turn you around so that his life can live in and through you, Then, as Paul says in this text in Corinthians, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God. You are no longer just a sinner saved by grace. You're a new creation. You are now the righteousness of God. Righteousness. It's one of those big Bible words found 300, uh, no, 232 times in the scriptures, 156 times in the Old Testament, 76 times in the New Testament. Righteousness. It's, a, it's from the same root that we also get the word that's sometimes translated justification, but in the Greek and the Hebrew, those two words have the same roots, to justify, to make right. It's a legal term. It's a 
verdict given by a judge. And I need two volunteers. Would y'all mind coming up here? The two of you. You come right on up here. To understand what Jesus did on the cross. Every one of us. I want you to just stand over here for a moment. Every one of us comes before God draped black in sin. We stand before the judge of God covered in sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us stand before God I don't care how much you want to do what's right. Have you ever discovered you still wind up doing what's wrong? I don't care how much you will it. I'm not going to have that bad thought and it just slips right in. Or how many times you said, I'm not going to say that anymore and you find the words just tumbling out of your mouth. How many times you say, I'm not going to covet and then you find yourself doing it. Present tense. We stand before God. Justification or righteousness, it's a legal term where you stand before a judge. Anybody seen Law and Order, that TV show? Jack McCoy, he never loses a case. I mean, if if he is the prosecuting attorney, you're going down. We don't even need to have a Jack McCoy because we know we are guilty and we stand before the judge just clothed in sin. It's all over us. And God looks at us and he sees that sin. But then just as he is about to pronounce guilt over us, we have someone who comes along and he says, let me take this sin from you. I'm going to put it on myself and let me give you my blood-stained righteousness so that you are no longer sin, but you are now the righteousness of God. And God the judge no longer sees that sin He only sees the blood of Jesus Christ and he says, more than enough. Come in for all that I have inherited for you. Thank you. Thank you, my brother. Thank you, guys. It's It's a transaction. It's not anything we do. You can't buy that blood-stained coat. You can't Earn that blood-stained coat. The only thing you can do is receive it because it is the free gift of God. All it takes is that transaction to say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And so, Lord, I freely give you my sin and receive from you your righteousness. So, God, 
who knew no sin became sin. He took our sin. You see, Jesus, in giving us his righteousness, took upon ourself, himself, our sin. Now, I propose to you there are layers of meaning to this scripture to say that we are the righteousness of God. First of all, we are the righteousness of God because God says we are. It's a judicial pronouncement by the judge. I'm no longer guilty. And I'm not just forgiven. I am now the righteousness of God. We're the righteousness of God because God says we are. He looks at us. He doesn't see our sin. He sees the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, covering our sin. And he says, I now see righteousness. It's imputed to us, placed on us. We don't deserve it, can't earn it. We receive it. Secondly, now that we've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus, we are to yield ourselves to God to be made on the inside, what we already are, the righteousness of God. By the way, this is what separates the New Testament from the Old Testament. Because you see, I've just been reading through the scriptures. I read through the scriptures every year. And, and uh, so I've been slugging my way through Leviticus and Numbers and, you know, but I tell you, there's some good stuff in there because all that's there is a picture of that which is to come. And so Moses received these instructions from the Lord that says, okay, if an Israelite sins, they are to bring an animal sacrifice to the priest. They're to take a lamb, a year old, spotless, without any fault, and they're to bring that lamb to the priest. And then the person who has sinned is supposed to put their hands upon the head of the lamb. And they're to confess their sin over that lamb. And it's like by confessing that sin, it transfers from that person to the lamb. And then the priest comes. It gets kind of graphic here. But he takes his knife and cuts the throat of that lamb and the blood comes gushing out. Then the priest takes that lamb and they cut it up and then they place it on the altar. How many like grilled meat? I love grilled meat. And that meat gets put on that brazen altar and the smoke of that begins to arise. How many times do you read in those books that it's a sweet-smelling savor? The Lord likes it. He likes burnt meat. By the way, this is just a footnote. Isn't it interesting that every one of our human senses gets involved in that worship. They put their hands, they could feel the lamb. They spoke. 
their words. They could see the blood of that lamb being poured out. They could smell that lamb being cooked before the Lord as that sweet-smelling savor. Every one of our senses, God wants to, He wants all of our worship, every part of our beings and worship to the Lord. And then the priest would pronounce the person, your sins are now forgiven. Blood has been shed. Now, I don't know why God said it takes blood to forgive sins, but God said it. He said, this is the order of things. This is how it's done. It takes blood for sins to be forgiven. So the person had obeyed the law and brought the lamb, put his hands, confessed. The lamb was slain, was sacrificed and burnt before God. And so the priest says, you're now forgiven. Now, I don't know about you, but as soon as I turned around and walked away, I would have needed another lamb. There just ain't enough lambs in the world. But you see, one day, this man of God said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it is Jesus' blood that is shed on the cross for my sin for your sin and he who knew no sin became sin. When we confess our sin, it's just like that Jewish man putting his hands over the lamb and confessing his sin and transferring it to that lamb. When we confess our sins before God, they get transferred to Jesus Christ. And the good news is Jesus post-dates the forgiveness, what was done on Calvary 2,000 years ago is effectual today. And it'll be effectual tomorrow and the next day and the next day. There is no more the sacrifice of the Lamb because the Lamb of God, the one picked out by God to be my substitutionary Sacrifice. <clears throat> and now, what is different about us and that Old Testament person is the fact that once we have made this transfer, God says, I'm going to come and live inside of you. And I'm going to put my Holy Spirit now in side of you and that's why Christians make miserable sinners because when we sin now we have someone living on the side of us that says but the good news is we don't have to go out and buy a lamb we just one more time say Lord Jesus forgive cleanse me. And he promises, promises, promises that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and what? And 
cleanse us from the inside out. The Holy Spirit is now at work in our lives. And that causes us to be hungry and thirsty for more of God. I don't know about you, but isn't that the case with your walk with God? That the more of God you get, the more of God you want? And didn't Jesus say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness? What? They will be filled. And that's not just the New Testament concept. That's in the Old Testament. Um, We're told, not let sin reign in your mortal bodies in Romans 6 to, to, uh, to, to obey, to make you obey your passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments or weapons for unrighteousness. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Present yourselves to God as instruments for righteousness. This is nothing new or extraordinary. This is kindergarten stuff about walking with the Lord. It begins with knowing our sin and how much we need a Savior and what Christ did for us. My dad was a pastor for close to 50 years. Well, actually, he was a he was an old-fashioned church planter, Brother Willie. We, we never lived in one place more than five or six years all through my growing up because uh, Dad would go into a community that didn't have a Pentecostal church because he was from a Pentecostal background, and and he would go and he would start something. And uh, church would happen. Folks would get saved and they, we would start getting a congregation. Then we'd build a building. And then I think, oh, good, now we're going to enjoy it. And then dad would say, nope, it's time to move on now. And we did that every five, six years. And I, I don't know how many churches my dad planted. Um, and there were eight of us children. I'm number seven of eight. And so he'd been doing that a long time before I came along. And, uh, but my dad <clears throat> just loved the Lord and served God with all of his heart as long as I knew him. And, and he was a generous person to a fault. Like I said, we're one of eight children. When you're planting churches, you don't make a lot of money. So he was also carpenter by trade, and he would build stuff to help earn money. And, but many a time I saw dad... <clears throat> just take money out of his pocket to give somebody in need. Now, that's my allowance going there, you know. Um, Many a time I know that he wasn't at home at evening because he had been called to go and sit with a couple that was having marriage trouble, and he would go and counsel them to wee hours in the morning, and he just, he spent himself for the gospel all of his life. When my dad died, Shortly after that, my wife had a dream about him. And my dad's name was Joe, Joe Cruz. And so my my wife saw my dad approaching the throne of God. And as he was approaching the throne of God, all of a sudden, God seated on the throne said, Stop, Joe Cruz. Why should I let you into my heaven? And in the dream, John just said that, my dad just stopped, and all of a sudden, he just looked behind him, and behind them, there was this just throng of people, people that 
dad had led to the Lord. Couples that were standing there hand in hand that he had helped save their marriages. People that he had just befriended and given money and they were all just standing around dad as if to say, we're why you should let Joe cruise into heaven. See what he's done for you. But instead, John just saw my dad. He looked at that throne and he turned back to God and he said, because Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, his blood was shed for me. And in the dream, John just said that God the Father rose out of his throne and he said, that is more than enough. Welcome home. It's back to the basics. It's not what we have done. It's not the who we are. It's the fact that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that now we might become the righteousness of God. Let me close by us singing a, one of my favorite hymns together. I'm a hymn singer. And there was a lady, and you know, her name was Fanny Crosby, who in the 19th century, when she was about four or five months old, got an infection in her eyes. And the doctor in those days, not knowing exactly what was wrong, put some ointment on the eyes, and instead of healing and soothing the eyes, it caused her eyes to just burn out. She became completely blind at about four months, five months old. Never saw anything that she could remember. But at a very young age, someone told her about what Jesus had done for her and she received Jesus into her life. And so Fanny Crosby in her devotional time began to write poems and those poems began to be set to music. And she wound up, wound up writing more than a thousand hymns. Now it's actually more than that. But the publisher said, Nobody will believe that you wrote all those hymns. So she started using other names so that they would get published. She said, I don't care if they're under my name. Just publish them. <clears throat> One of these hymns, hymn Blessed Assurance. And she was asked one time, Fanny Crosby, don't you sometimes regret that you're not able to see and she said, oh, no, you don't understand. I think I'm the most blessed person on earth because don't you see that the very first person I will ever see in my life will be my Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me and let's sing this hymn together. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. 
heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above. Filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you have done for us. Lord, we don't deserve it, but Lord, you freely give your blood for us. Lord, if there's anyone in this room that does not yet know what we're talking about, would you by your Holy Spirit just draw them to yourself right now? Open their eyes to see Jesus on the cross for them. Help them to hear the words of Jesus. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Help them to receive the precious blood of Jesus Christ poured out for them. And Father, I pray you would bless every family here, every marriage here, Lord, every relationship here. Bless this church indeed. Bless Pastor Willie and his wife, their family. Bless the elders, Lord. Pour out your blessing upon this place. We make our prayer in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you.